I'm going to turn your attention to a new series, and uh, Carrie, if I could have my, my DeLorean up here, I'd appreciate that. Um, but uh, let, me, let me just do this. I'm kind of continuing the series that I was in, but uh, I, 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 I think that um, I want to make sure that no one gets um, like uh, indifferent to the graphics. So I switched up the, uh, the, uh, uh, the series title here, and, um, and Carrie has helped me with that. That is a DeLorean, which uh, um, some people need to go Google that, you know, but... Um, let me just tell you, for pastor's appreciation, if you ever want to get me a DeLorean, I would accept it. They're built like a tank. They're stainless steel back in the 80s, and uh, it was probably been a great um, car at, at, at some time, you know, but it was competing with the, the Porsche 911, and it was more expensive than a Porsche 911, so, you know, they didn't do so well. But my thought is this. Um, I think that uh, when we're trying to figure out the future, sometimes you actually have to look backwards. Now, I'm not one of these guys that romanticize or idealizes uh, the day of Pentecost. There's a lot of information we get out of the book of Acts, and we're going to look in Acts chapter 1 in just a moment. And I'm going to read some very familiar scripture to you, but I want, to, I want it to be a fresh look. I'm going to ask you to consider with me taking a fresh look at um, this, what it means to be a spirit-filled community. I, um, through the years, the church has, uh, the Pentecostal charismatic movement, third wave, third wave movement, has been criticized for harping on the Holy Spirit all the time and, uh, and not um, uh, like leaving that subject alone. And I just want to say that the movement that has become quite substantial is still a remnant movement, but it was meant to be a normal experience of the early church. And so I just go back to the fountainhead to get an idea of the trajectory to figure out where we should be heading for in the future, if that makes sense. Now, I'm going to just tell you something you already know. Prophets and pundits have diagnosed the church uh, as, uh, as we have known it. Uh, in the Western world, to either be dead or to be on life support. That's not a very encouraging uh, diagnosis, but many have said that for uh, quite some time. The numbers actually kind of verify something of that, the truthfulness of that statement. For the unchurched and those who have been dechurched in this country has reached a critical mass. Now the unchurched and dechurched is like, uh, equal in size to those who hold on to a remnant of Christian faith. And uh, so they, they, they literally need to be re-evangelized. I don't need to tell you that with COVID-19 restrictions and shutdowns, it's forced many churches into a near fetal position. Uh, some churches have just curled up and, and, and just hoped for a new day. I, I can't help but think of how when the Apostle Paul was uh, about to be shipwrecked in the book of Acts, we read the story. He said that they cut loose the rudder, they cut loose the sails, and they threw the tackle overboard with their own hands, and they wished for the day. They just hoped for something to change overnight, you know. So um, some people are actually pretty excited that the uh, church uh, is in decline or uh, on life support. 
but there are many people who are very depressed and very sorrowful. Many of us, uh, and, and, and a, a great number of pastors, and I, I'm communicating with as many pastors as I can just to stay encouraged, to keep them encouraged, to be an encouragement. And I have found some um, remarkable friends, and many of them are just doing a wonderful job in a very, like, um, if this were a card game, they just were dealt a very bad hand, and they're playing their cards very well. So some people rejoice. There's a segment of society that would rejoice at the demise of the church. And I'm going to tell you why that is. In the book of Thessalonians, it says that the Lord will come, and when he comes, I'm sorry, he says actually the Antichrist will come, and, and the, the, the thing that is restraining him from coming, well, he doesn't actually say who it is, but you get the assumption it's the church. Some people say it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's the Holy Spirit in the church. It, what, is re, what is keeping the Antichrist from ripping his mask off and coming out and saying, here I am, let's go for it, is, is the church. So some people would rejoice to see the death of the church. Um, I, I just want to say whether we're dying or uh, have died or whatever, you know, I believe in resurrection. Mm -hmm. And I also think that this is a time when our country needs a moral voice and a spiritual compass more than ever before. More than ever before. We need a moral voice and spiritual compass, and that's found in the church. So some are asking, is this the end? Is it getting very close to the appearing of the Antichrist? Is this getting very close to the return of Jesus Christ? Is the Antichrist alive and well in the world right now? People are asking that question, and I get it. I understand because literally no one has fear of the past. Everything you once feared in your life that is now past, you don't fear it anymore. It's past. What do we fear? It's like what's in front of us or what's ahead of us. So the unknown is what we fear. I would like to suggest to you that it's time to go back to the future. I want you to take a fresh look with me at what it means to be a spirit-filled community and to find life and vitality in the life of the spirit. I believe that the Pentecostal message is both right and good. And yet, I fear that it's incomplete. Because the primary resurgence of Pentecostalism at the 20th century, at the, in 1906 to 1909, at that resurgence, after years of the Dark Ages and the Reformation and all the history I don't have time for to go into, the thing that God wanted to bring back for end time harvest and the preparation for the church is the Holy Spirit. Some people have said that the Holy Spirit was given with power to the apostles so that they could establish the church. And then after that, they had the word of God and they didn't need the power anymore. I'm just going to tell you whether that is right or wrong. I have no clue. But I'm telling you what, this is one man who needs the power of the Holy Spirit even to know how to use the word of God correctly. So, so anyways, I'm going with both the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I believe that if we were to take the time and to look backwards, we might be able to find a way forward. And I just want to read to you in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, 
So familiar are these passages, but I want you to hear them new, and I want to share with you what I think was missing in the Pentecostal movement and needs to be found and rediscovered because I think that it's a gem. I think it's a real gem. First of all, I'm just going to say friendship with the Holy Spirit to me has been absolutely incredible. I wish someone would have told me when I first accepted Christ that when I became born again, that I should first of all appreciate Jesus' life. So so God sent his son, and we're going to celebrate that in the season that's just ahead of us. But the Spirit of God hovered over Mary, and he empowered her to conceive within her womb. So Jesus was literally born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. I mean, it's, it's, that's not a great big revelation, but it makes a little bit of, of, a, of a mind shift there when you think, you know, in other words, you are body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus was body, soul, and spirit, but his spirit was the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the Christ. So he was a man, but he was more than a man. Okay? All right? So, so he came into the world with the Holy Spirit. And yet the Father chose at his 30th birthday or whenever it was that he climbed into the waters uh, at the Jordan River and, uh, uh, and requested of uh, John the Baptist that he would be baptized um, th- that when he submitted to baptism and John the Baptist submitted to his request, the Holy Spirit came down. The heavens opened. The Holy Spirit came down. This was God's way of saying not that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, but this was God's way of signifying that the Holy Spirit that had been devoid or had vacated the temple, that God had opened the heavens and now put the spirit that was in the temple at one case but had departed, Ezekiel saw it, depart. Now that spirit had descended on Jesus. So he is born of the spirit and he was baptized in the spirit. Now, um, when he was hanging on the cross, he, um, um, he yielded up his spirit. He yielded his spirit. So, you know, you might know that when, when a person dies, their spirit departs from them. So Jesus died and the Holy Spirit departed from him. When, it was, uh, uh, when he was resurrected, guess who was kissing Jesus on the mouth? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit woke Jesus up with a kiss. And when Jesus stood up, the Spirit of God had filled him again. And now when Jesus came out and he found his disciples, he breathed on them. And he gave them his spirit. And then he said, go over in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which was the outpouring of the, of the spirit on all flesh. I'm going to just suggest that all means all. I'm going to suggest that it means that, that, that God's desire is to pour out his spirit on believer and unbeliever. I'm going to suggest to you that the spirit of God wants to... to to so fill our lives so that we're not full of our own spirit, but we're being led by his spirit. And then we're able to do what Jesus would do. So literally when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you love me, 
And if you keep my word, my father will love you and he will come and we will make our abode in you. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus didn't lie because he, the, the spirit of God is in the life of the believer. Talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not the spirit of God coming down. It's the spirit of God letting loose inside of you, inside of me. So the Father is in heaven, Jesus is at his right hand, and the Spirit lives within the believer. Hallelujah. And guess what? That is the same as having the Father and the Son in complete fellowship with you. My fellowship with the Father is through the Son, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a little bit of theology, but I, I'll just stop right there. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse number 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which, by the way, I just want to say here, we don't have to wait for the Spirit to come. He's already come. He's here. What we do need to do is just ask and receive. But uh, to wait for that which the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came, had come together, they were asking him what you would ask. What's in the future? It's a very crucial time. This is a very crucial time. Jesus had come. The crowds had come. Jesus had healed. He fed the multitudes. He released his kingdom in the world. He raised up, trained up some disciples, sent them out, and they had power over demons. They could heal the sick, and they came back rejoicing. He sent out 70 others. They did the same thing. I'm so thankful for that. It wasn't the apostles. This was 70 others. He sent them out. They, so, like, the, the movement was growing. Everything was happening. And then all, just, like, the thing that would be beyond anyone's belief or, or, or consideration, the worst thing that you could imagine is their Savior died. And then the best thing that could ever happen is their Savior rose from the dead. And then the next best thing is that they could touch him, they could feel him, they could eat together with him, he could talk with him. For 40 days, he let them examine him so they knew that he was resurrected. And then the next worst thing that could happen is Jesus would say, guys, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the Father. So wait, wait, wait. We just got over the, the death, the resurrection, the fish, and we're eating, and we're having a great time. Jesus, let's camp here. Let's build onto Peter's house. Let's stay here. Let's enjoy this. This is good. And Jesus said, guys, I told you, I'm going back to the Father. And you know what? It's better for you that I go. And they're like, dude, how could it be better? He, he didn't answer them the way I'm going to answer. But what he said in essence is, I'm going to be in you. What's better than Jesus in front of you? Jesus inside of you. That's awesome. So it's a very confusing time for the disciples. And they ask, because there's all kinds. I mean, Jesus just mentioned promise. And there's promises out there about David's kingdom. There's promises out there about God restoring it. There's promises out there about a tabernacle of David being raised up again. There's all these promises. So I don't fault them for saying, what's next? And I don't fault any one of us for saying, what's next? It has been anything but a 2020 vision this year. 
been more like 60, 30, it, it, you know. Anyway. So when they came together, oh, let me back up. Gathering them together, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for what the Father promised. John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the rest of the guys said, Peter and the rest of them said, okay, fine. Yeah, we trust you. They didn't have any clue what that meant. And so when they came together, they were asking him, Jesus, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? I want you to see what Jesus says. I heard this in the past, but we've just not really held on to it too much. I love prophecy. My life is a testament to prophecy. And one of the things that was promised when the Spirit would be poured out is that there would be prophecy. Hallelujah. We need it. But right now, everybody would just like to have a prophetic word to say what's next, you know. Look at what he said in verse number seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs, the seasons, epochs. Literally, the chronos and the kairos, it's not for you to know those things. which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Like, I'm okay with the sovereignty of God, except for when I want to know what the future is. <laughs> Let me just tell you something, Lord, because you're Lord, um, I don't mind that you are Lord. In fact, I would prefer that you are Lord and I'm not Lord. But I do have a request, and the request is, would you please let me know what the heck is going on in our world right now? Could you just let me know? And, you know, Jesus said, essentially, uh, number one, Rich, the Father has already fixed that. That date, you can't hurry it up. You can't slow it down. It's already a red-letter day on God's calendar, and only he knows when it's going to happen. Okay? So that's one thing. Okay, so you don't need to know that. And then you see the word but. In other words, what he is saying, here's what you do need to know. You don't need to know that, but here's what you do need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So let me translate that for you. Apparently... It's more important that the church know her mandate and the method than to know the future. It's more important for the church to know her mandate and the method than to know her future. The mandate, really. Now, I know in Matthew uh, 28, Jesus, again, before he ascends. So we have to think that the conversation that Luke is giving us here probably involves some of the same conversation that Matthew talks about, but he didn't choose to include it in this particular setting because he is going to point out 
how that Jesus said, go wait. They went and waited. He said, the spirit will come. The spirit came. And then out of that, all kinds of heaven broke loose on the earth, you know. So um, Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. And amen. I mean, last time I checked, there's still over 6,600 language groups that still do not have any uh, version of scripture. So support, God bless Wycliffe and those guys. We ought to have them going. And there's still so many countries that you and I can't get to. And absolutely, we still need people, particularly nationals, who can get in there to go there. Or people from other nations that are not quite as um, uh, restricted as ours. So I'm all about missions, and I'm all about going and discipling nations. I'm all about that. But Luke is very careful and precise, and sometimes I defer to the doctor. The doctor, Luke, said this. Okay, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons or the future, God has that fixed. It's already set. It's under his authority, which means it's not under yours, you know. And then he says, but. So when he then says, but, you shall be, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. You know, he is giving us a mandate and a method. What is the mandate that is given here? The mandate is, that is given is that they be witnesses. Do you know that the primary mission of the church is to be a witness? The primary. Yes, we're called to worship, to partner in prayer, to partner in evangelism. Absolutely. But there is one thing that God wants above all other things is that you are you. That you would simply be. And as you are you that you would be empowered by the Spirit to live as a witness. He didn't say to witness. He didn't say, I want you to be evangelists. I want you to all be missionaries. He didn't say that. He's just saying, and he didn't say, I'm going to send you to Judea, Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth. He, he's actually saying, I want you to be something, and wherever you go, I want you to be that. I want you to reimagine missions with me. Missions is when the church is simply able to say, I've been with Jesus. And people can see that. I wish I had the time to give you testimony, testimony after testimony of how God interrupted my schedule, of how God interrupted my day, how God interrupted my life, recently even, just interrupted my life. It's amazing how many people I can meet just walking my dog. My dog is smart as a brick, but I tell you what, she is, she is the best evangelistic tool I've ever had. Next to Judy. Judy's also a pretty good tool for witnessing. I think that just walking my dog has lended me and given me more opportunities to share than just about anything else in my day-to-day -day world. Yes, people come to the church. Yes, yes, people need to know. Yes, we need to get a message out. We need to talk about that more. Actually, you know, like if we're to go to the world, guess where the world is right now? Online. 
We need to go there. So, okay, so we need to talk about that in the future. But right now, I just want you to know that your mandate is to be you and to be the best, best version of you that the world has ever seen. Not the, not the cold, dead kind that is filled with its own spirit and stuff and brokenness, and, but the kind that Jesus has resurrected and filled with his spirit. Just be that version of you and take you wherever you go. And wherever you go, he'll go with you. And when you go, just be. The mandate is to be witnesses. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, be full of the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. So in other words, this is like plain English, splained for you, okay? Here's real plain English, splained for you. This is like, what are you going to do? You're going to witness. How are you going to witness? You're going to be filled with the Spirit. A two-step model to reaching the world. Be filled with the Spirit and then just shine wherever God puts you. Some of our evangelists that we will ordain certainly soon will be plumbers, housewives, teachers, professionals. I believe that we will actually probably ordain people that have uh, technical abilities and they'll be like internet evangelists. I believe that we'll ordain people who know how to use social media to reach people with the gospel. I believe that God is going to give us young people. And it's like they, they can take all those skills that they got from Xbox and all the games. They, they, they can actually, we can just say, okay, we're just going to change the warfare now. Okay, you've been killing things for a long time. Now we're just going to point your guns in a different direction. Okay, how am I going to do that? You're going to just be able to do that. You just be you, okay? But, but I want you to be filled with the Spirit so that like when Noah comes up, you know, and he gets a word, a prophetic word, it's just that easy. He didn't have to make it up. We didn't have to say, come on, do you have a prophetic? Don't you have a prophetic word? You know, he just has to raise his hand and say, I think I got a prophetic word, you know. You say, go for it, and you just go for it. And, and then he just, did anyone expect him to be more than he was? We don't expect him to be. That was perfect. That was enough. We can encourage him. We can say, look, you know, that same flow, if you, if you, if you dwell there, if you meditate, on, there'll be more. Then we can pull more out. There'll be more prophecy, more prophetic words. Yes, you can get in an environment, and this can happen just about any time. But you're going to find out this can happen in Walmart which is like the United Nations of Camp Hill right now. The world has come to Walmart. Just go there. Just go there. My good friend, Pastor Shane Wilson from Christian Life Assembly, when he was an evangelist, itinerant evangelist, and he would come on Friday nights and minister together with us at Cornerstone. One of the things that he shared is that he suffered from insomnia at that time. And, and uh, sometimes he just couldn't sleep for nothing. So he would get up and go to Walmart because it was open 24 hours a day. And he would just look for opportunities to share his faith. Now that's an evangelist. Praise God. Amen. All the emphasis used to be on receiving power. And I say amen. I'm just going to add to the power bucket list. Okay, so there's power there to do miracles. That's right. There's power there to do the supernatural. 
And that's right. I, I think that that we should expect the supernatural when we least expect it. I think that it should just become a natural part of our life that God so loves people that he'll ordain a moment for the two of you to meet together. And if you just take a moment and just take the risk and share that, that the Holy Spirit's going to be right there and he'll empower you. Okay. And if you're like me, one of the people, I'm not an evangelist. I, you know, uh, one of the things that used to be drilled into us in the church is that you've got to go evangelize. You've got to share your faith and all that sort of thing. And believe me, that was not my personality. Once I was filled with the Holy Spirit, it didn't change all of that. He didn't change my personality, but I did recognize that he would empower me to do it. So like if I took the step, he would be there to lift me up and to help me forward. So um, I'm going to just add to the bucket list of things that the Holy Spirit can empower us to do. You know, um, not only be bold, which sometimes is uh, confused with obnoxious. Let's not do that. But um, not only boldness and supernatural abilities and miracles and signs and wonders. I'm all about that. And, and, and an unbelieving world needs signs and wonders. Yeah, that's true. I agree with all that. But he can empower you to be the best version of you that you could ever imagine. In other words, he could. So let's just say you have some skill. He can empower that skill. What if your skill is carpentry? He can empower that. He can actually empower it. What if your skill is being a homemaker, a housewife? Well, he can empower that. I live with a spirit-filled grandmother. I mean, you know, literally. I, I know that God can empower us to take the skills that we have uh, and to use them I, as a... Computer technician, I can't tell you how many times I prayed for equipment. God, give me an answer, you know. And, and how many times I got to meet and pray or witness to someone when I was working. It just happened over and over again, all the time. The one thing that I regret about my world today is I don't have those opportunities. The one thing that I do have that I just value so much is the time to, to be in prayer for you. I am praying that what God has done, he will do, and you will do it. I am praying that you become the Pastor Rich, the uh, Mama Judy. I am praying that you become, you know, the, the next uh, Noah or whoever we want to uh, mention right now. I am praying that God empowers you to be the very ve best version of you that, that the world has ever seen. And whatever it is that he puts in your heart to do, you do that as unto the Lord. Whatever he puts into your hand to do, you do that as unto the Lord. I wish we had not over-spiritualized the, the, the whole thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the, the thing isn't just about the glory. Trust me, there's glory. Trust me, there's more than you can ever imagine. Trust me, I've had experiences that are just like, I don't need heaven. I've had enough of what heaven seems to be like, that I'm not actually looking forward to going to heaven. I'm looking forward to living this life here. Trust me, there's more glory than you know, and he will share it with you. Trust me, there is all of that and so much more. But let me also tell you, that the Lord wants to come by his spirit and just put his arm around you and say, come on, we're going to do this together right now, okay? 
So here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk across the street. I know that you normally walk the other way. This time I'm going to ask you to walk across the street. And you're going to say, oh, this doesn't feel very glorious, you know. And But I'm, I'm just encouraging you that, that the glory that we talked about in Pentecost is actually on the other side of obedience. So I wanted to just sit and be Pentecostal. And yet what he wanted was for me to be a witness. By the way, that word witness comes from the word martis, which is where we get the word martyr. Now, not many people would sign up if, if, if we said what Jesus was asking, actually asking you to do is to become a suicide bomber. Okay, No, he's not asking you to be a martyr. Well, sometimes he does. What he's actually asking us to do when he fills us with his spirit is, is that we lay our lives down and we let ourselves be emptied of all of our stuff and let him fill us up. And so then we become living sacrifices. Or as we would read in Deuteronomy 17, verse number 6, on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness, which is in this law of corporal punishment that God gave to Moses. He's just saying you can't have one eyewitness and someone die for that. There has to be two or more. Now, Interestingly, Luke uses these same words and puts them in Jesus' mouth and said, you'll be my martyrs, my martyrs, you'll be my witnesses. So what's going to happen is that it's not going to be just on the account of Pastor Rich's witness or what they heard at church or what they heard in Sunday school, but on, on the testimony of your witness and someone else's witness and someone else's. So my thing isn't really necessarily to reel in what God has done uh, or, or, or to make something happen. I'm supposed to just be a witness, and you don't know if you're the second one or the third one or the fourth one, but all of this together when the church is living as a witness and willing to give their life. I'm going to just tell you, there are people who love Jesus just like you, who worship Jesus just like you, who put their pants on one leg at a time just like you, and they are being martyred for their faith. It's their love for God that brings them through, and there's a grace for that. But the grace isn't given until you're in the moment. So I'm going to just share with you that the method that God has given is that we're always filled with the Spirit so that when the event occurs, when something comes in front of us, we are empowered to witness with our life or our death. Amen. Apparently, it was more important for the church to know her mandate and the method than to know the future. Would you please stand with me? I'm just making the most urgent appeal I know, not just to encourage people to be Pentecostal. In one sense, I, I, I could care less about that. That's not the goal. The goal is that you and I are able to say every day, Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence and empower me to live 
as a witness, to be a witness everywhere I go. I'm not going to ask you to speak in tongues. I'm going to just tell you that for me, being able to pray in the Spirit is a very precious gift, very precious. Sometimes when I don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays through me, and I really appreciate that. But I, I'm, that's not what I'm going for this morning. What I'm going for is that I really think that based on what we witnessed here today, that you are a people who are ready to live as nameless, faceless, but witnesses of Jesus Christ wherever God takes you, to the ends of the earth or to the end of your block, over to the other cubicle, to the next door neighbor, as life and time permits. Would you consider praying this morning with me that God would fill us with his spirit again and again and again? How many times is enough? I haven't found that. I haven't figured that out. But I, I'm just going to tell you that after the first time that the Spirit of God stepped inside my spirit, that from that time on, I was never alone. Never alone. Just like Jesus said, never, ever alone. Father, I thank you for this precious day and these wonderful people. Thank you for this tribe that we call Cornerstone. Thank you for their faith, their worship, their support, their love, their friendship. I thank you for all of that. And because they are all of that and so much more, I want more. We want more. That's just what we sang. We want more. And if I could just reverberate Randy Clark's message, there is more. There's always more. So, Father, I pray that in this room right now and those who are watching live stream, that you would hear the prayer that we're about to pray collectively. And fill us with your spirit. I'm going to ask you to just put your hand on your heart and pray with me. Father God, I receive the Spirit of God. Fill me with your Spirit and your presence. May I have a witness in my heart that Jesus is alive. Keep praying that prayer. Keep praying.